Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 26 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. I am Justin Hughes, admin for the Baseball 365 Facebook group. Come join us if you haven't done so yet. We're closing in on about 1,400 members, all having good conversations every day. With me is my fellow admin and co-host of the podcast, Andrew McQuiston. Andrew, how's your week going so far? Going good. Got to uh, got to head out to a game yesterday. Rookie ball uh, sh- or uh, short season started today, and over here uh, drooling over Jordan. So been a been a good week. Yeah, we're gonna need to do a podcast next week just on news because I really want to dive into that game you went to. But we've got a lot to talk about tonight. But yeah. I can't not talk about Jordan Alvarez real quick. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. That home run tonight. I I'm I joked in the 2005 NLCS when Pujols hit that home run off Brad Lidge that that ball's still in orbit somewhere cuz I never saw it land. And I never saw that Jordan homer land either. I think somewhere those balls just hit each other in the air. <laughs> yeah, his uh he's up for bidding in my two of my NFBC leagues this week and it's um, I can't wait to see what he goes for. I don't know if I quite have enough to get him. I'm at least going to block him from the first place team in one of my leagues, but um, I'm st- I'm still going to try. I mean, it's he's crazy. That's a, that guy right now at this point, that's a hundred percent of your fab needs to get thrown at that guy. Am I in most leagues? Right. Well, yeah. The only thing with those leagues is there's no zero bids, so you can't really bid a hundred percent unless you just don't want to pick anyone up, which you is impossible. I mean, yeah, you can't do that. But yeah, I have I have in the one league. I think I have about four eighty, and I plan on putting three hundred plus. You know, yeah. I, I'm more doing it to block a few teams than I am to even get him because I'm not sure I'll even get him with that, but. I'll give it a spin for sure. And we'll talk more in depth on him down the line also. But, yeah, man, it's been impressive. I I know I, on the Prospect podcast, I kind of said I wasn't sure I was high on him, as high on him as the rest of the group. But seeing this easy power, I I think he's already changing my mind. I'm about already (laughs) ready to admit that I was maybe a little too low on him. But we'll we'll circle back to him another time. Oh, yeah. Okay, so in that case, we're in case you guys weren't listening last week, this podcast, we are diving into the NL East. We're going to do the, our six podcasts over the next few weeks, and we're going to cover each division, and we're going to take a deep dive into them. We're going to talk about the major leagues, the minor leagues for each of the teams. We're just really going to d- dive deep and talk about players that we probably haven't talked about since before the season began. All right, Andrew, you ready to get started? Absolutely. All right, before we're going to start off just going over the standings right now. As we are recording, these are the standings. And the Braves are up at, in first place right now at 41 and 29 with a two and a half game lead over the Phillies, who are 38 and 31. And I'll say it looked like it was going to be a half-game lead, but they just scored in the ninth inning, scored like three or four runs to beat the Phillies, so that was a big two-game swing. 
The Mets are in third place at 33 and 36. They're seven and a half games back. The Nationals are at 32 and 37, eight and a half games back. And the Miami Marlins, sitting where everybody expected them to be at the beginning of the year, 24 and 43, 15 and a half games back. All right, Andrew, I think you had Atlanta winning the division in the preseason prediction podcast, and you had Philly in the wild card. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, yeah, I had uh, Braves winning, yep, and Philly is the, uh, I think I had them as the first wild card, but yeah, definitely one of the two. So your predictions are sitting pretty so far, much better than my NL East prediction is. I decided to go against the grain with my NL East pick this year on that podcast. I picked the Mets to win, and while it started out okay in those first few weeks, it sure doesn't look good now. They are moving in the wrong direction. And I think I also had the Braves as a wildcard team. At least I got that one right. But I don't think I even had the Phillies in the playoffs. And they look like a legit playoff team right now. Yeah. Yeah, they've looked pretty good. Okay. Well, let's start off with the Braves. They're 41-29. and They've won. Let's see. I think they're on quite the winning streak right now. Seven or eight games in a row, I think. And if we're going to talk about them... Actually, no, before I do that, I forgot. We're gonna, I'm going to ask you this question on each team. The Atlanta Braves stock, and would you consider their direction of their franchise right now moving up, down, or staying neutral? Uh, it's pretty clearly moving up. I would say it's neutral in the sense of it's about where I expected it to be before the season. But, yeah, as far as like heading into the future, I mean, it's definitely going up. Yeah, we. I think this one's a clear yes. We talked about it before the year, but when Albies and Acuna signed those extensions, they they are so cost-controlled to star players like that for the next five to ten years that this seems like a team, especially with the farm system they have, they're just they're going to be in the playoff hunt or in the playoffs just about every year for the next five, ten years, it feels like. It's going to take a lot of things going wrong for that team to go in the wrong direction yeah they're just they're just loaded i mean especially with arms and they've got the hitters at the top too so they've got good hitting prospects too i mean they really are they're loaded yeah they are we'll start off with their star young kid that would be ronald acuna in 65 games so far and i'll i will add a lot of these player notes i did make these a couple days ago so they may be a little off but it's not far off in 65 games, Acuna was hitting 277 with 15 home runs, 41 RBI runs, 45 RBI, and eight steals. Andrew, I was on board with taking him something like the top five or six in redraft leagues and anywhere from two to four in dynasty startups. And I got to say, anybody who took Acuna around that slot in either format should be pretty happy right now. Yeah. There's uh, there's really not much to say. Um, he's a superstar already. He's 21. He contributes in every category. I would take him probably around where I would have taken him before the season, like rest of season and dynasty, same thing. Take him probably 
a little bit higher. I, I'd still probably have him two overall in Dynasty and redraft a little bit lower than that, but not much. Well, that leads me into my next question. I agree. I would take him two in a Dynasty right now. I'm going to circle back to that in a second, but rest of season, how many guys are you clearly taking above Acuna? Definitely Trout, definitely Yelich, and then I think you can make the argument. I mean, possibly Bellinger, possibly a few other guys. I mean, there's Betts, there's Arenado, there's plenty of other guys that, you know, would be in the discussion, but Acuna's in the discussion too. So, but yeah, only two for sure. I, it, he could be five, six, he could be three. I mean, it's, he's right in that range, but definitely Trout and Yelich, I'd take over him. Yeah, I think we're in the same boat here. They're, Trout and Yelich are clearly one and two to me right now. But after that, I'm taking them third. I don't think I'm taking them ahead of any of those other guys, but I will say that if somebody had him five or six, I'd, I think I think it is a grouping there to where take your guy, Bellinger, like you said, Betts, Arenado. If you want any of those guys, you're fine. But I'm taking Acuna just because he's providing in all five categories. I nothing he can't do right now, and, and yeah. I mean, he's just awesome. Yeah, and there will be there would be people that would argue him at two in a startup, but. In my opinion, and I, I think you kind of share it, it's like the guy's 21. He's already ridiculous. He contributes across the board. Plenty of people would take Yelich and Betts, and they're, they're fine too. You know, it's, but I'll just take the youngest player and go that route, especially when I think that his production won't be far off of the other guys. No, I think you said before the year, and, I think you've even said this since the year started. This is a guy that you think, and I agree with you, will be the next 1-1 in a startup dynasty, and he's the one that will replace Trout when Trout gets taken off that top spot. And I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we are we can save this conversation for another day, but I, I think that there will be some people, if this season continues to go the way it has, they will argue for Yelich next season over mm-hmm. Trout. I, yeah. I won't be I won't be one, but I don't think. But I I think there will be people that will do that. But yeah, I still think that when Acuna or when Trout is replaced at the top of even a redraft league, I think it's Acuna. Agreed. Yeah, we'll talk about Yelich in that conversation next next yeah. time whenever we talk about the NL Central because I yeah. agree with you on that. And we'll move on to Freddie Freeman, who's having a really nice season. After hitting 23 home runs and 162 games played last season, which, stop right there. That was weird when I saw that 162, because I just you just don't see that anymore. Guys don't play every game during a season. I, I have no idea how many even played 162 last year. Freddie Freeman's the only one I know now. Yeah, I think there was like seven or... Really? So, I know, I know Olsen did. For sure, because I remember just seeing it in the preseason when I was looking at stuff. But I think there was around six or seven. But yeah, not many. Oh, it's not like 1980s or before that, whenever everybody's out there playing every game. You just don't take breaks. But 
moving back, he in the he had 23 homers in 162 games last season, and Freddie is seeing an uptick in the power department this year. He has 18 home runs in his first 65 games played. And it doesn't look like he's sacrificing his hit tool for this power surge. As his batting average, he's still hitting 311. His strikeout rate's actually down from 18 to 16%. And his walk rate's actually gone up to 12%. Before the year, his ADP was 21 overall going into the season. I think that loss of power kind of knocked him down a little bit. But I'd say owners who took him should before the season should be pretty happy with that production. Yeah, yeah, I, um, definitely. I mean, he's consistently great every year, great hitter, good to very good in power, and yeah, just contributes everywhere besides stolen bases, obviously. One of the best, if not the best, first baseman in the game. So, yeah, yeah. he's he's great. He does everything but steals bags, and well, of course, not many first basemen do that, but I, I love the, watching that guy hit. Such a great hit tool, and I didn't. I was watching a game. I think he, let's see. I think it was the thirteenth. So we're talking yesterday, and it was the anniversary of his mother who passed away. I think she got sick and passed away when he was real young. It was like two thousand or something. And he had a real big. He had a big triple in that game, and he, it's something to where he always has her name on his cleats on this day. And it's a. It was pretty emotional seeing that. I mean. Really, just awesome guy. And I think the announcers were saying as he hit that triple, they're like, she's got to be so proud of him for the, the ball player he is and the human being he is. It's pretty Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll move on to Dansby Swanson. And what a rebound this guy's had this year. Started the year in the eight hole for the Braves. I think he was down in the minor leagues either last year or the year before. It, was, it had gotten so bad for him. He was demoted. And he's hit so well this year that he's worked his way up to the two-hole for the Braves now. He has 13 home runs and six stolen bases in his first 66 games played. Andrew, do you think Dansby's real life here, or is this make-believe? Uh, I think it's pretty much real. I, I, I've always kind of liked him, and now he's... Um, worked his way into becoming kind of what everyone thought he could become. It's, it's interesting. I have uh, my online championship team on NFBC. It's doing pretty good. But I have uh, Acuna, Freeman, Swanson, and uh, Donaldson. So Jeez. I'm always, uh, always kind of following, you know, the Braves every night. It's like if they score <laughs> 10. If they score 10, I'm just like, oh, who did what, you know, kind of checking it out. But, yeah, I've been following Swans. He's, he's having a really good season. It's not, it's a cushy spot hitting between Acuna and Freddie. How many other teams in baseball would you want to own four guys in the same lineup on a Yeah, on not a team? many. Houston, a couple others. Yep. Houston, the Yankees if they're all healthy, and yeah. Boston, Do- maybe the Dodgers. But even then, I'm not, I don't think so. I think I'd rather have four Braves. Yeah. Man. Well, yeah, the thing I've noticed when I look at Swanson and I look at his fan graphs page, the big uptick that's happened for the third season in a row, his hard hit rate in 2017 was at 29%, and it got up to 35% last year, 
and it's all the way up to 43% this year. So he's a 43% hard hit rate along with a 46% medium, knocking that soft contact all the way down to 10%. He's making better contact. It, I don't see anything in here that really doesn't seem legit. So good for him for working his way and getting there. And it just shows you don't want to quit these young guys too soon because they can, and some guys, it takes a few years to really get it figured out. And Swanson's 25 and he seems to be right now really hitting his stride. Yeah. So let's move on to, I want to ask you about uh, Swanson and play a dynasty him or him game with three short stops here and see where you have him. I'm going to start off with Paul DeYoung. Uh, you know, I, I probably should be at this point, but I'm just, I just have never really been a DeYoung guy. I, I think I would take Swanson, but I totally understand if people would take DeYoung. He's been really good. So I'd I'm probably Car- take, I'd probably take Swanson though. I'm a Cardinal fan. I would take Swanson too. So I don't think that's, that's too, that's not crazy. All right. Well, what about Jorge Polanco? You know, I actually have the, him on that team too that I mentioned. I, and I, there was a point in the year where I was debating who to play. Like those were the two because I have Correa. But now that Correa's hurt, I play them both. So that's been like a weekly uh, kind of decision for me. I know you're saying dynasty; it's a little different, but mm-hmm. it's really not because they're about the same. I mean, they're close to the same age. It's not that far apart. I would probably take Polanco, but it's not by much. I think they're pretty close. I think I'm taking Swanson as I'm thinking about it right now. I think Polanco might be slightly better hitter than Swanson is at this stage, but those stolen bases that Swanson's getting those six steals and Polanco's only got two. I think that's a big difference maker for me where I, I take Swanson and the speed he's providing, but yeah, it's close. Yeah. It's real close. What about Ahmed Rosario, who we'll be talking about here in a little while, but between those two, who would you rather have? Yeah, I'll get into him a little more when we uh, when we talk about him. He he's really a tough one for me. I I don't even know who would you take. I struggle with him. It's a hard one with Ahmed. There, that's a trendy guy. I think there were a lot of guys that loved him before last year. But I, I'll say I'll say this. I think that Rosario. At the end of the day, you know, like in three, four years, whatever you want to call the lifespan, I'm not going to say a whole career, but a few in a few years, I think Rosario will clearly be the best of these four or clearly be the worst. Yeah, I just I don't know. I could see it going either way and I'll get a little more into it when we get to the Mets. But I think I'm taking Swanson. I'm taking the higher floor here because I still think Swanson can be an all star level player and. Rosario, I just something that's a co- common trend with me. Guys who don't walk make me nervous, and Ahmed Rosario doesn't walk, so I'm taking yeah, I'm taking Swanson there. Yeah, I don't blame you. Okay, well we'll move on to Ozzy Albies. He's once again off to a hot, got off to a hot start this year. But like last year, he did slow down a little bit after that hot start, and they moved him down to where he's been hitting in the six hole a lot more, and I think. That may have to do with the emergence of Dansby Swanson. You know, when I was looking at him in April, I did notice he wasn't walking much, but 
I did notice when I dug into him before this, we were recording that his walk rate's gone up significantly. Last year it was at 5.3%, and I was seeing early this year it was still pretty low, but it's all the way up to 87 this year percent in terms of walk percentage. He's got 25 walks already, and he's at 10 home runs and four steals. And I got to say, before I started doing the research on Albies, I thought I was going to be pretty disappointed and be like, yep, that guy's been a disappointment. But I think I'm changing my tune after seeing what he's doing in terms of being a little more patient at the plate. Yeah, I like, uh, I've always liked Albies, you know that. I mean, he's, he's so young that I feel like he deserves a little bit more leeway as he works his way in. And he's been, he's been good. I mean, I wouldn't say he's, completely blown the doors down like some of these young guys but he also is it's not like he's struggling either you know so yeah he's he's good i don't get why that guy's not stealing more bags that's the one thing about him i just can't understand i tell you what too i feel like at any point he could like Uh it's it's not like he can't but yeah it's um I think the right now with him hitting like near the bottom, I, I mean, he's hit eighth some too, and that's not really going to help when you're hitting ahead of the pitcher as far as stealing bags go. But, but yeah, I feel at any point it could tick up. So last year he stole only 14. I say only, but I expected more like 25 to 30. Yeah. Same but here. on that same note, he was only caught three times. So it's not like his percentage was bad this year. He's got, um, those four steals, and actually, he's done a fifth one since I take the notes. So he has another steal this week, and yeah. he's been caught twice. But again, that's not bad. I don't. I just. It's hard for me to understand why, but it's been that way now two years in a row, or I guess a year and a half, a year and a third. But yeah, it's a little strange. Okay, we'll move on to Josh Donaldson. He's been pretty healthy this year so far, but his strikeout rate's up for the fourth year in a row. And he's still walking a lot, which is keeping his OBP looking good. But uh, get a guy who's hitting into his 30s, striking out, striking out more and more each year, that can be a little troublesome. Yeah, Donaldson's been uh, he's been mostly okay. I mean, it's nothing too crazy, but he's been solid. I I still don't feel like he's going to stay healthy all year, but. Um, yeah, when he's in there, he'll be productive just because a lot because of the guys around him, too. And yeah, he'll keep getting on base. I feel like there may come a point where they um, they rest him a little bit if they can, you know, because they've got uh, Riley going and stuff. And if they wanted to play Riley a little bit at third, they could, you know. So I could see Donaldson not being in there the entire rest of the season, but. When he is, he'll be solid because the offense is good and he has good on-base skills. That's a good point. If, like, Ender and Ciarte gets back healthy, maybe it's a good idea just to give that guy a two-week break. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't shock me. Why not? I mean, you've got Riley you can plug in there and just keep, say, you know, we're shutting you down, just keep you fresh, give him a phantom injury, and call it good. And hopefully you got him back for September and October. Wow. Yeah, I was I was kind of thinking that when Riley first came up, but 
just ha- it hasn't really happened yet. But I feel like if he just gets even a little dinged up, they might just say, oh, just take a couple weeks off, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wake up and has a cold. I think he yeah, needs two weeks right. off. <laughs> yeah, like like he, like he's a Dodger pitcher or something. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Austin Riley, he continues to hit. Andrew, he's had a heck of a start. He had a heck of a start in AAA this year and carried that over to the MLB. He has a 280 batting average with nine home runs in his first 100 at-bats. But... He does have 36 strikeouts and only four walks in those 100 at-bats. So my question for you in redraft leagues, is this a guy you maybe we should, if you were owning him, you'd be checking, send him feelers out if you could move him, if you had another position to need, because Riley's not a guy you drafted before the year to be your third baseman. So maybe this is a guy who owners should be considering trying to move to upgrade another somewhere else. What do you think? Uh, in redraft leagues, yeah, maybe. I, I, um, in most of my redraft leagues, there's no trading. So I don't really think about trades in redraft leagues just because I don't have to. Uh, but, but yeah, I could, I could get behind selling him based on his production thus far because a lot of people are going to buy into it. Well, wow, I didn't realize his discrepancy between his K and walk yeah. rates. That's crazy. 31, yeah. 31% K rate, 3% walk rate. That, that's wild. As, mm-hmm. good as, he's, as good as he's been, you just don't see that a lot. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's going to be somebody that's buying, the, buying him. I'm not saying I would for sure sell him. I'm definitely not giving him away, but. Um, yeah, it might be a guy if you can trade, if you can trade in your redraft leagues to see what's out there, especially if you have, you know, like extra hitters, you know, like if you're just, if you need pitching or something like that, or you have extra guys at the positions that Riley covers, you know, it it might be something to look into. But we strictly are talking redraft when we say that. Oh, yeah. I mean, this sample size here, he's also a rookie, and he's showing what he can do. I definitely would not be trying to move that guy in a dynasty league unless there was just an obvious – Unless somebody's somebody's paying up or something. Yeah. But you do bring an interesting point up there. I I probably shouldn't be going off too many side side roads here, but the no trading part of redraft leagues, I'm in – two redraft leagues now well one of them's a draft and hold jory's leagues that he sets up and the other one's my auction i run that's my only other redraft league and we do trading all the way up till august but more and more as i'm playing in these leagues i'm becoming less and less of a fan of trading or and at least if i am if there is a trading deadline i feel like it needs to be moved up or something because it's just weird to see a team that's near last place make a trade with a team up in the top of the division late in the year. It's like to, and you could both be helping each other, but I just, it, it makes me feel a little uneasy when I see those trades these days. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I feel like if you're going to have trading in a redraft league, the deadline should probably be sometime around like right now. I, I, or not, you know, a little before now, a little after now, sometime in June, probably maybe early July, but 
there just becomes there comes a point where you know you you start hitting July August when like you know August is a lot of the trade deadlines and dynasty leagues and it's if you wait that long in a redraft you start you have a first place team trading with a 12th place team you know how that goes it's just not something that I don't know it just doesn't make any sense it sh- shouldn't be allowed it just shouldn't I mean I think the worst thing you can see in a redraft league is August and the first place team who's got a loaded roster trades five of his mid-tier players because he's got so much depth because things have worked out right and the last place team trades him as superstar and right and to fill his roster out which probably really needs because his roster is so cooked if you're in like a 15 team league but it's just it's bad for the league you're already well, it's, cooked. it's different in a dynasty league because you're playing for the future still yes. you know like there's more to come Whereas in a redraft league, there is it's just the end of the year. So, yeah, the best way to avoid it is just to not allow it. I mean, I don't know how else to even say it, but if you allow it and people pay their buy-ins or you know whatever they've done to be in that league, they can argue, well, I paid my buy-in, so why can't I tr- make a trade? It just causes problems. I just I would have that uh, that rule set and. Be good with it. I just, I just wouldn't allow it to go too far beyond July first. Agreed. I agree. Okay, let's move on to pitchers, and let's start off with the big breakout pitchers they've had, and we're going to talk with the, about the first one being Mike Soroka. Andrew, fill in the blank here. Mike Soroka is a top blank dynasty pitcher right now. Um, when I first saw this, when you sent it, my thought was 30. I would say, without looking at names, I would probably, if I was ranking them, have him anywhere from 25 to 40. But, yeah, I'll just say right around 30 or so. Well, we're in the same range. My first thought was, I think, 25. 20 to 25, but I think it's more of the 25 range, especially as I dug, just looked at his stats a little further. I think 25 is about right. Uh, mid-tier, number two. And he's having a fantastic year. 7-1, and 1.38 ERA, 57 strikeouts, and 17 walks and 65 innings pitched. I mean, that's impressive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's been really good. And the nice, the nice thing with him, too, is just how young he is. Like he's, I don't even think a lot of people realize he's 21 years old. Like that's, I mean, you're, you've got a long time with this guy and it's, it's going to be nice because he is really good. I'm not really sure if he will ever get, and I don't want to say he never can or won't, you know, I'm not going to say that, but I'm not, convinced that he will ever get I guess is the best way I could say it to pure ace level where he because it's not wipeout stuff it's not like you know he has electric stuff where it's top of the scale and you expect him to just win Cy Young's all you know it's I mean I think he's a good to really good pitcher for a really long time so and and that's worth a lot I mean it is but I don't know if I'm convinced he's a ace. 
I'm glad you brought that up. I guess that's the best way I can say it. I'm glad you brought that up. I, again, when doing digging and seeing his strikeout rate and the walks and everything else, I, I, the, I had two player comps come to mind from pitchers. I mean, I, both of these pitchers are still active, so don't take this off of what they are now. But early career Jordan Zimmerman and early career Michael Fulmer are the two guys I thought of. Guys who would get 160 to 180 strikeouts, throw 200 innings, good ratios. But they did, their strikeouts were the thing that kept them from ever getting turning them into uber elite guys. I think Soroka, it's a similar, similar deal there. You know who he reminds me of a little bit? Not not so much just how he pitches, but like he, like stat line wise. Who's that? Jamison Tyon. That's a good one. Yeah, and and kind of like Shane Bieber too. Like those guys are all like in a similar area. I mean, Tyon's hurt now, so it's different. But I'm just saying, like if they were all healthy. They're similar type guys to me, and they're—I'll I'll be honest—they're not the type of guys that I'm likely to buy when they are priced where they're pr- where like Soroka's priced right now. Mm-hmm. I'm more likely to buy Tyon right now, but as like as like you, you just know, said with Bieber, just, Bieber, yeah. anybody who hears that, there there are Soroka owners who are probably cringing when they hear that. Because I think Soroka is viewed significantly above Bieber, who's having a fine year. But I, th- I think the, f- the market would be a lot higher priced on Soroka right now than Bieber. I don't know. Maybe, but there's a lot of Bieber fever going, too. I don't know. There is. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on to his teammate, Max Freed, who would be a breakout pitcher on most other teams. But when he's Soroka's teammate... Not so much, but Freed's been pretty good. He's got a 3.75 ERA, 66 strikeouts, and only 19 walks and 72 innings pitched. And the thing that really surprised me when looking up Freed and then looking up Soroka is Freed has a slightly better XFIP than Soroka right now. Freed sits at 3.48 compared to Soroka at 3.5. And to me, Andrew, that has me wondering if Freed would be viewed as a full tier. Bo- I think Freed is viewed as a full tier below Soroka in dynasty value right now. And if I was a Soroka dynasty owner who could move him for Freed Plus, I think I'd be considering that. But am, am I being crazy there, or do you think that's a good move? It just depends on what the plus is. I mean, if it's two young pitchers like these guys. If, if I look at like, this is kind of the way I think of it. If I'm, if I think Soroka and Freed are even or close to even like really close, then I would move Soroka for Freed plus. But if I think there's a gap, which personally I do, I mean, yeah, I'd move him for free plus, but it's not the plus has to be something of value. So it kind of just depends on what the plus is. In my head, I was thinking specifically like a second round pick. Would I move 
Soroka for Freed plus a second. And I think that's close. I'm not saying I definitely would do it, but I definitely would be thinking about it. What about you? Yeah, no, I wouldn't do that. Okay. It's so just you're not, thinking it's just, a bigger gap than I am. It's just not enough to move the needle for me. I mean, the second second round picks are fine. I think second round picks and are actually possibly the most underrated assets in dynasty leagues, mm-hmm. which I could go into at a later date, but um, yeah, I just, I don't think it's enough to move the needle for me. I just, I like Soroka more. Okay. Well, we'll just move on then and go to, since, since we recorded last, Dallas Keuchel signed with the Braves. One year, $13 million for the left-hander. And I think I mentioned on last week's podcast that I didn't want the Cardinals signing him. But I honestly thought it'd take somewhere like two, three, four years to get him without the draft pick tied to Keuchel. And I just didn't want them making that kind of commitment. But given it's a one-year deal and Atlanta's contending, and they have a lot of struggling young pitchers right now, I really like the signing. Yeah, good signing for them. Uh, He had a really good start in his first start. In low A, I believe it was. So, um, like seven shutout innings, nine Ks, one hit, one walk, something like that. So, nice. Good good to see. And, um, yeah, he should help him out. You know, I pity those low A hitters who would have to face a guy like Keichel. You know, <laughs> Keichel is such a great location guy. And you always hear that guys in low A – they're mostly just seeing fastballs down the middle. They're not really seeing guys that can paint corners and do that kind of thing. Facing yeah. a guy who can locate like Keichel, oh, man, that doesn't even sound fair. Yeah, it's definitely not. But good for him. That's what you're supposed to do down there. It's a lot more alarming if you hear they're getting lit up. And Good for yeah. Keichel. I don't say that as a slight on him at all. Okay, well... My last starting pitcher question I have involves the struggling Braves pitchers and their dynasty value. And Andrew, I want you to rank these four pitchers and how you'd rank them in a dynasty league. Tuki Toussaint, Sean Newcomb, Mike Fultinevich, and Kevin Gosman. Uh, Fulty one. Gosman two. And then uh, Tukey Newcomb, take your pick. I mean, it's. I, I will say, I think that the Tukey owner probably wouldn't trade him for Gosman right now, just because Gosman's been getting lit up. So it's kind of an uh, it's kind of a odd time to really even talk about Gosman because it's just everyone just thinks he's trash right now and that's you know it's just he's a totally he's been bad lately but um the reason I I say Fulte and Gosman is mostly because I'm most convinced that they're starters for the long haul and you know with Tukey we've mentioned about him possibly being in the pen in the future and Newcomb Marty is so obviously they've thought of that too and yeah I think I mean 
you get in a situation like Tukey, he could be a lights out closer, but if he's not pitching the ninth, what's his actual role? I, I question a lot of that stuff with him. I just don't know what his role is going to be. If once I know what they're going to do exactly with Tukey, I feel like his value will go up, but there's, there's a lot of people who still like him and you know, that's fine. He, He's not my favorite, but yeah, I, I get it with him. I mean, he's the stuff's nasty when he's on. I so. think Tukey is destined for the pen, and if so, if that happens, which this is a, it's hard to count on something like this because bullpens are, you just never know who's going to end up with a closer role, but he could be the best closer in baseball in three years. Yeah, Possible. but the. The other thing is, too, though, is once you're made a reliever, you basically have to be given that role, too, though. Yes. It's not – It's not, and that's why once somebody's a reliever, their value just goes way down because you have to not only get that role but then also succeed in that role to where you stick. And it's just – it's not always the smoothest ride, put it that way. Agreed. Completely agree there. And my rank, I think it's not too far off of yours. I think I put Gosman one, but him and Fulty, I that's pretty interchangeable there. And Newcomb feels like a clear three for me and Tukey a clear four at this time. Okay. Let's talk prospects now. And while many have come up this year, they still have quite a few more. The Braves that are still up and coming. And the guy who looks to be moving to the top of the list now is Drew Waters, who's now in double A, and he has a chance to make the majors by next year. So, Andrew, is as Riley is coming off the prospect list soon, is Waters the number one prospect on your list? Yeah, I think he'd be the number one Braves prospect once, uh, once Riley is... Off the lists, yeah. What kind of hitter is this guy? Because I honestly have not dug into him too well. What are your thoughts on Riley, the prospect, and what kind of hitter is he? On Waters? Did I say said, yes? Yeah, I said Riley. But I, yes. I knew what you meant. It's all good. Uh, kind of a five-category guy. I mean, good hitter, you know, power, speed. I mean, it's kind of all there. He doesn't walk as much as quite as much as you would like, so I, that's really the biggest question, I guess. But everything else is pretty good. I mean, he's had a couple really good seasons in a row. Seems like he just keeps getting a little bit better, and yeah, just good across the board. I I think he's definitely going to be good. He's working his way up these lists. As I see yeah. prospect lists, I definitely see that he's moving his way up them. Shout out to uh, shout out to John Calvagno. I know that's that's his guy. We talked about it. We've talked about him quite a few times. So, yeah. You know what? I was we were talking about this the other day. I think it'd be real neat to get him on the podcast, John. I know you listen sometimes. I hope we'd love to get you on sometime. Oh Hopefully yeah, we can do that. Yeah, the guy who sees he's, a lot of the. He's the highest. Movies. He's the highest on Drew Waters of anyone. I tell you, if that guy. If Waters pans out to be a star, he was on him before anybody. He's been talking about him forever. Huh. Neat. I honestly didn't know that. Yep. 
Well, we'll move on to their other big prospect hitter, and that's Christian Pache. Pache, Pache, I think. He continues to be the darling of many prospectors. I've seen him anywhere between 20 and 80 to 100 on prospect lists before the season. And in his second run here in double A, he's hitting 287 with seven home runs and seven stolen bases. I hear he has stellar defense in center field, Andrew. And he's clearly a big-time prospect because of what he adds on defense. But let's remove that because that's not what we care about as fantasy players. What do you think of him as a fantasy baseball prospect? Uh, I think it's one of those guys that you may have to be a little patient with when he gets to the majors. I just I think it'll take some time for his game to fully develop, but yeah, he's going to get there because of his defense and that's going to give him floor. I mean, he's going to stay in the lineup once he gets there. I, I remember reading a quote from Chipper Jones. I think it was last year that if he was in the majors, if Pache or however you say it, I can't say the guy's name was in the majors. Uh, right now, he would contend for defensive awards, basically, wow. is what he said. So, yeah, he's true center fielder. I mean, he's going to push anyone else, Acuna or you know whoever else they've got there at that time when he comes up to the side because he's the center fielder. So, uh, as far as what he'll provide in fantasy – I don't know. I mean, I think he's go- he's going to have some speed. He'll he'll have a little bit of everything, but I think it may take a little while for it to fully develop. I think it's just one of those guys you're going to have to be patient on. Weird stat: last year, he stole seven bases and was caught eight times. Ooh. This year, he has seven stolen bases and has been caught eight times. How weird is that? That's not good. No. It's not good. Huh. I don't think I'm as big of a fan. Like I'm, I think I'm on the lower end with this guy, and I think he's one of those that, like you said, could come up and struggle. It could be one of those Byron Buxton type deals where he looks lost for a little while and maybe he figures out it eventually. But you're right about that defense is so good it may keep him in the lineup still. It'll yeah, be interesting to see. It'll keep him in the lineup. It almost kind of makes me think of, and I'm not saying they're the same player, but it makes me think of uh, like JBJ. Like how much, because like JBJ has stayed in Boston's lineup even when he has not been able to hit at all, mm-hmm. you know, and it's because of his glove. And I kind of see this guy being that way, even if he's bad with the bat, I just feel like he'll be in there because of his defense. Interesting point. That's... All right. Well, let's get to the prospect pitchers we've been talking heavy braves here and i want to talk about two prospect pitchers and that's ian anderson who's having a pretty nice season in double a this year he's at 3.02 era and 86 strikeouts and only 65 innings pitched but the only concern is he has 36 free passes in those 65 innings meanwhile bryce wilson He's got 63 innings pitched, an ERA near four, but only 13 walks and 58 strikeouts. This feels like, Wilson feels like a floor guy compared to Anderson, who has a much higher ceiling, 
but lower floor. So, Andrew, in a dynasty league, who would you rather own, Ian Anderson or Mike Soroka? Or not Soroka, but Bryce Wilson. Anderson. Okay. So you're just taking the upside. Pretty clearly for me. I think Anderson, of the pitching wave that the Braves have on the way, I think he's the best one. I I think he actually will probably wind up the best for me, aside from maybe Soroka. But, yeah, I think he's he's going to be really good. Yeah, the upside is definitely there. He's just got to hone in those walks, and he could be elite. But if he doesn't, yeah. he could be in the bullpen also. It's just all about can he get that control down. But I agree, taking the upside, especially with a pitcher, because there's so much with pitchers, I'd just shoot for the upside. Yeah, I, I think he personally I think he has a fair bit of floor too. I think he's a starter all the way. I don't I'm not worried hmm. about him going to the pen. Well, next up is the Phillies. Andrew, the same question I asked about the Braves. We're gonna do this for all of them. Do you think the stock on this franchise right now is up, down, or about even? Kind of the same thing I said with the Braves. I mean, it's up, but as far as where I thought they'd be before the season compared to now, it's about it's about where I thought they'd be. Agreed. It's a team that they got all those bad contracts off them five years ago. And, or maybe not five years ago, but in the last couple of years. And they built up, and now these kids are coming up. They brought Bryce Harper in. Yeah, this it's going to be fun to watch them in Atlanta over the next few years. Because they're just going to be battling. Yeah. But here's one thing we do know. The Marlins will be in last. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get to them in a little while. But yeah. If we're talking about the Phillies, Bryce Harper is typically the first guy to be brought up. That said, Andrew, I think we've discussed Harper multiple times in the last month. I think we even discussed where we'd rank him in a dynasty in the last few weeks, maybe even our last podcast. So I really don't have anything new and can move on unless you've got something you want to say here. No, not really. Harper's Harper. Struggling a little bit this year, but... He'll be fine. He actually mm-hmm. uh, hit a hit a homer tonight. Yep, yep, yes, he did. I saw that replay of that one. All right. Well, the biggest winner from Bryce Harper showing up in Philly seems to be Reese Hoskins. This year, he's hitting with more chances to drive in runs thanks to Harper's great ability to get on base. In his first sixty-five games here, Hoskins has forty-six RBI. And given he hits behind Harper, I have to say, I think that RBI pace could and should continue to be really good. Yeah. Yeah, Hoskins is a stud. A couple more ribbies tonight. He's just... I feel like with Hoskins, his resume is just building. You know, like he came up and it was kind of like, I wonder how he's going to be. And then he was pretty good. And then you just want to see more of it. And he's not really, like, doing anything to completely blow you away, but he's just good, and he's been good since he pretty much came up. So, yeah, it's nice to see more and more of it. And as you see that much, it's almost like his value rises in a way because it's been pretty consistent. 
you know, it's a shame about McCutcheon going out. And that's the thing. He had McCutcheon and Bryce Harper, two really good OBP guys sitting in front of him. And that's just, that's what you want out of a power hitter. You want on base percentage guys in front of you. You're going to drive guys in and Harper's still there. I, yeah, I think he's a stud. Yeah. I mentioned fear of Jean Segura's stolen base percentage in 2018 as we were doing our preseason shortstop episode. And the main thing I think I said is I could see him stealing fewer bases this year. I think he had 20 steals last year, and he had like 11 caught stealing, if I recall right. And this year, that's been the case. His stolen bases, he only has four steals here, and we're past the third-way part of the season. So my question, Andrew, over under 15 steals at the end of the season for Segura. You know what? I'm going to say push 15. <laughs> okay. So right at 15. So you're thinking I put the line yeah. right where it should be. I think he'll pick up the pace a little bit, but I don't think it'll be too crazy. So, yeah, 15. I'm taking the under. I was worried about this before, and I think at the beginning of the year, I don't remember if I said it on the podcast or not, but I thought he'd steal something like 12 to 15 bags, and given his start to the year, I think I'm taking the under, and if it was me, I th- yeah, I think I would be sticking with what I was, I think I said, but at least was thinking, which is 12 steals before the year. I think I'd shoot with that. Yeah, yeah, it could be, it could be around there, too. I, I get it. Scott Kingery, what a bounce back season that guy's had. After looking like a super utility guy to start the season after a horrific first rookie year last year, Kingery's played himself into every every day at bats with a few Phillies players being out of commission. And man, he's delivering. A 324 batting average, seven home runs, two steals, and 108 at bats. So once again, Andrew, I'll ask, is Kingery real life or is this guy make-believe? Yeah, he hit another homer tonight. Did he? Man. Yeah. Um, this version of him I don't believe in. I I mean, I don't think he'll keep up doing what he's doing right now. He's just on fire. But, yeah, he could be okay. Um, I don't have too much of a problem with him. I, I kind of believed in him going into last year. You know, leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Uh, he's been pretty good lately. I don't think he's quite this good. So, yeah, I, I expect he'll fall somewhere in between. He was so bad last year that, you know, I, I definitely think he's better than that, but not really quite what he's been right last month or so. Yeah, I think he's closer to make-believe than real life. When looking into him, I mean, again, a guy who strikes out 25% of the time and is just not walking much, I mean, you got to show elite skills, and I'll give him this. His hard hit rate is really good. He does not make weak contact much at all, but the home runs are definitely right now on the high end of where he should be in terms of the home run to fly ball rate. And yeah, yeah I just I think there's a lot of luck going on here, and this is kind of the high end of what he's capable of, and should regress down pretty significantly. I would uh, I would consider seeing what you could get for him. But yeah, I don't I'm not really convinced that 
you would get something that would make you move him? I don't know. Maybe you would. It, it really depends. If somebody was liking him or into him, I would trade him, I think. But I, I'm not saying I'd give him away. I, I just I would look into it, though, I think, just to see. Because I feel like people have harsh opinion one way or the other. You know, like, I definitely am interested in him or I'm definitely not. So you're going to probably find out pretty quick. But I might be looking into that if I owned him. I think that he would definitely be a guy that would be a good one to move right now. And, but I also, I think, I think other people in the league might be viewing him a little better than what you were saying in terms of, I'm not saying everybody is, but I think there will be at least one guy in every league that's pretty high on him. And it goes back to 2017, the year before his rookie year in double A and triple A, he had like 26 home runs and 29 stolen bases in 132 games. And I remember hearing a year before that, I think, that this guy had Pedroia comps. And I'm sure there's somebody that still remembers that, seeing this breakout happen and thinking, okay, this is a guy who's turning it on. And could yeah. you could, I'm not saying I would float him out there and say Kingery's on the block, but I think he's a guy that if somebody was asking me or if I was – approaching somebody about a trade and asking about trying to buy somebody off of them. I'd ask them who they like. And I think I'd be kind of saying, what do you think about Kingery trying to see if you can gauge and see if they're into him. And if they say they'd like him, yeah, that'd be a guy I'd be trying to move. Yeah. It just, it really, it just depends on what you get. I mean, like anything else. Yep. Okay. We'll move on to pitching. And Aaron Nola's taken a step back in the early going this year. He struck out 86 batters in 76 innings, but his ERA currently sits at 4.5, and his whip's almost at 1.5. And, Andrew, he's walking more in the early going so far, and he's given up more line drives. But his, And his XFIP is almost a full run better, though, at 3.78. So he's had some bad luck here. Is Nola someone you'd feel confident enough to in, to rebound in the second half that you'd actually seek him out in a trade in a redraft league? I don't. I don't think I'd really seek him out, but I think he's going to get better. Yeah, I wasn't really. Uh, I wasn't at all in on Nola coming into this season, based on his price. I just wanted nothing to do with it. He's proven me right so far on that. But that said, I don't think he's this bad. You know, I mean, I still think he's a good pitcher. So I'm not saying I'd actively seek him out, though. I mean, I I may just let somebody else deal with him. But yeah, if I could get it, if I could get him at a significant discount, I I just feel like people are still attached to Aaron Nola that bought him, and they they don't want to probably give him up for too much less than they bought him for, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it's, it's all league and team specific. So what about Zach Eflin? 2.88 ERA, six wins and 72 innings pitched so far. Andrew, are you buying into this guy? Uh, not, not a lot. I mean, a little bit, you just back end rotation guy. I think you just ride it out as long as you can and, you know, just take the production while you can get it. I don't know how long it'll last, but sometimes with guys like this, it lasts for 
a couple weeks. Sometimes it lasts a couple months. Sometimes it lasts a couple years. So it just, you just ride it out and get off the train when he falls apart. I don't think you're getting anything for him in a trade. So it's kind of how I would do it with Eflin. I agree with that. I just, like you were saying about Kingery, I think Eflin is one of those guys that you're not going to get the value out of him. If you can, good yeah, for you. No. But, you know, I'm looking at this page right now, and I didn't notice this before, but this may be the worst difference I've seen between XFIP and ERA in terms of the ERA is so much lower than the XFIP. It's 2.8 ERA, and he's got a 4.67 XFIP right now. Yeah, it, it, I don't, that to me doesn't really matter because, you're, like you said, you're just riding him out. I mean, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, it basically tells you it's not going to continue the way it has. But, I mean, stranger yep. things have happened than guys out pitching their XFIP. You know, it's just, you, yes. just ride, you just ride it where you, as long as you can. And then once he uh, gives you a reason to, you get rid of him. Yep, and in redraft leagues, you don't go seeking him out next year, even if he finishes well. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Nick Pavetta. He was one of your boys going into the season, Andrew, and it started out horribly this year. Bad enough, he was demoted to AAA. I know we talked about him at that time, but he's back, and he's been better since returning. And this past weekend, he had quite a game, throwing a complete shutout, complete game shutout against the Reds. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, been better. He was pretty good tonight, but they left him in too long. Kapler, man, I was irritated following that game. I think he threw 110 pitches. He was just, I forget the score. They were up, what was five, I think five to one, five to, no, it was seven to two, seven to two. And they leave him in in the uh, bottom of the seventh, and he gave up a home run, I think it was to McCann. And then he put another guy on or two. And it, you could just tell it was kind of going south. And it, he just left him in a little too long, I thought. So it wasn't the greatest performance tonight. Over uh, End of game stat line, it wasn't terrible. But they blew the win for him at the end. I don't. Yeah, I like Pavetta still. I mean, I'm sticking with him now. He's been better since he got back. I think he's hopefully back for good, but. Um, it's still one of those things that when you see him sent down after four starts at the beginning of the year, it's in the back of your mind that that could happen again. So I'm, uh, it's all, you know, I, I have it in perspective for sure. Let's talk about Hector Neris and Andrew. He just got the closer gig back after not pitching in middle relief or as a setup guy the last year or two. And he's been really good since coming back. I think he had a pretty ugly blown save tonight. But my question is this. Who gets more saves for the Phillies the rest of the year? Hector Neris or the rest of the Phillies combined? Neris of the field. It's, uh, it's like perfect timing for this question because of what happened tonight. Mm-hmm. He got lit up tonight. He's, he's been really good. Um. Uh, I'm going to take Neris, but it's one of those things where if he has another outing or two like he had tonight, that's going to, it, it's not going to be him. I mean, they'll, they'll figure out something else, but yeah, I'll take Neris. So spe- 
Sir Anthony's out for the year too. Not yep. that he was pitching that great, but it's one less guy. Uh, I haven't heard much about Roberts Robertson lately, so it obviously could always be him. But yeah, I'll take Naris. Yep, I'm taking Naris also. I will also add though, this is a team I could see trading for a closer in July and bringing somebody in. I think it's always possible that Robertson comes in there and gets saves, but. I could also see this being a team that trades for Will Smith, and that's the guy closing for them, or somebody else. Possibly, and Alex yeah. Alex Colomay, he could get moved. That could, that's another one that could be closing for the Phillies. To where, if I was saying heck, who, if Hector, if I knew Hector Neris was losing that gig, I'd probably guess that it would be, if I could take, uh, pick a specific Philly or say somebody not on the organization right now, I would say my leading candidate would be a somebody else not on the team. Yeah, it's it's totally fair. They could obviously make the move. Will Will Smith's going to be pitching the eighth for the Cubs, by the way, but we'll get into that. (laughs) We'll we'll get into that later. All right. Well, let's talk some prospects. Alec Baum, he was their first round pick at this point last year. The Phillies were terrible just two years ago. It's, Seems like it's been a while, but because they were better last year and this year, they've been really good. But Baum was a guy who was taken early. Was was he the number one selection overall last year? Is that right? No, I think he was no. Three. Mize, was. Mize was one. I think Baum was three. And I think and he, don't. I'm not a hundred percent on that, but I think he was third. He was early. That we know. Yeah. Yeah. And last year was an absolute disaster for him in terms of his first run in in professional ball. He played 40 games and didn't hit a single home run. And the thing I was hearing scouts talking about with him is that he was going oppo on a lot of pitches. And yeah, it it showed. I think it was 42%, 75 and 42% in his samples in his games that last year. And he is pulling the ball more this year, and he's moving up dynasty ranks. So, Andrew, where do you think he should be ranked amongst prospects right now? Uh, Off the top of my head, I would say, like, back end of the top 100, like 50 to 100, somewhere in there. But, um, yeah, he's had a good season. He definitely has had it. Good start to the season, hitting over 300, close to a 400 OBP, 500 slug. I mean, yeah, he's he's playing really good. Um, be interesting to see what happens when he moves up the levels. I think he's been splitting between first and third base a little bit. And I think by the time he gets to the show or shortly after, you know, the first couple of years, I think he's going to wind up being a first baseman. You know, kind of how I mentioned before, like right, right, first baseman. They just, they really do have to hit, and he can do it. It's not that he can't. I kind of said the same thing about Alonzo, and obviously he's crushing. But it, it's one of those things. There, there just gets to a point where there's a lot of pressure on the bat, so he's going to have to keep hitting. But he definitely can. I mean, he has the pedigree to do it. Yeah, I think about a year from now, as he's getting his way up into Double A maybe right about the time he gets called double-A, I'd be trying to move him if I had him as a, owned him. For I do agree with you on that. I think 
that I remember reading this last offseason in Baseball America books that his defense was pretty bad at third, and he likely was going to end up at first base. And that just puts so much pressure on that bat. You have to be an elite hitting first baseman to show fantasy value. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's a guy I would consider moving. I don't think it's like a total lock that he's just a first baseman, but it is just one of those things I just think about because when you are a right-handed hitting type like that with a, that plays first base, it's it it's not that it can't be done because plenty of guys do it, but it's a select group, you know, and it's just to be impactful in fantasy, you have to really put up numbers. I mean, it's not like we're not talking like 15 to 20 bomb. Like that doesn't get it done. You know, you have mm-hmm. to hit for power and you have to hit. And it's, it's not, like I said, it's not that bomb can't do it. He can, but, it's uh, it is. It's just a lot of pressure on the bat. Yeah, I'm with you there. Okay, what about Spencer Howard and Adam Hazley? Do either of those guys interest you much, Andrew? I really don't know much about either one of them, but both guys look like they're circling just right around a hundred in prospect lists right now. Yeah, a little bit, not a ton. I mean, Howard's a pitcher, a little ways away. She's probably for somebody else. Hazley's here, but now injured. So, yeah, I mean, he's a hit tool guy with not a lot of secondary skills. So, not huge on either one. Okay. So, again, I don't know much about him, so I don't have any more than that to add. Um, the last guy I want to talk about and i feel like i'm taking a mulligan because i talked on the prospect podcast how much i liked him was luis garcia the phillies that was a guy i was really liking and i took him in both dynasties this drafts this last february and it's been pretty rough and as high as i was on him i dropped him in my dynasty startup where i took him in february now i do have a deep dynasty prospect roster there but and i just didn't, looking at my roster and seeing guys who were popping up, I thought I'd rather own these guys than Garcia, and I threw him back. And I'll still be watching him just in case he turns it around, but here's my question for you, Andrew. Is that a guy who should be owned in a in a dynasty league that has, like, most of my both of my leagues have 300 prospects owned? Should he be owned in a league like that? Yeah, yeah, I think he should be owned. Um, he's having a rough season, but I think he should be owned. Um, I get that if you have a loaded minors, that he may not be the ideal guy to have because you probably have better guys. But there's plenty of teams in some of these dynasty leagues where it's – he. Like he should be in the minor league roster. Like I, I don't know if you go through, and I'm sure you do, but you know you go through other people's teams and you just look at their minors. And I feel like I see some guys' teams where I'm like, they'll have five to seven guys, or you know, maybe sometimes even more. Where I'm like, man, if they cut that guy, I don't even know if I would pick him up. They just there's a lot of guys that don't have a lot of value on teams and. I think he has just enough intrigue still where I would 
on a team like that, you know, yeah, I think he should be owned. Maybe a team that's like competing that doesn't have a real strong minor leagues. Yeah, I, th- I would own him on a team like that. Well, in that case, Jake Book is doing exactly what you're saying. Because I cut him, and Jake Book, who is in that same league with me, he, him and his teammate or co-owner, Brian Lambert, they both pick, they picked him up. So he's on their squad, and you know they're trying to win now. But I, that's a good point. If you're competing, yeah. it's one of those guys who people were high on this before the year, and he's got the upside. They were saying that he's got upside to him. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe like, you know, in six months to a year, if he's still bad, you just cut him loose. But I think I'd give him a little more of a, a little more time. Okay, let's get to the Mets. And stock up, stock down, or are they about the same? Where would you say, you know, the first two seem like obvious ups. This one is a little different. Which uh, it's not a definite up. So what would you say? Uh, I'd say a little bit down. I think I think their season so far has been a little disappointing. It's not like it's been catastrophic or anything. They're not that far back, but yeah, a little little disappointing. Yeah, and they were my preseason pick, like I said before, and I was being bold, but. Sure doesn't look good with them scuffling and the Braves and Phillies playing so well. And after their general manager, Brody Van Wagen, I don't, I never remember how to say his last name, but he threw all of, he threw his chips in before the season. And it kind of reminded me of what AJ Preller did with the Padres like four or five years ago. And Preller ended up as the season went on and it looked like it wasn't going to happen for that team. He moved everybody, and he made some great trades, restocked that farm system, and got the put that team in the position they're in right now where they're absolutely loaded. And I can't help but wonder if that if they're not winning it, like in the next month or two, if maybe the Mets should do the same thing and start moving guys like Thor and Wheeler. Yeah, maybe it's um, I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's like they just trade. Uh... Kelnick to try and compete and he's a stud I mean he's pretty much universal top 50 prospect you know and it just to go right back to moving guys for prospects I don't know I don't know if they'll do it I'm not really sure if they will they maybe should but they've kind of committed to going for it a little bit here so I don't know I'm not sure what they'll do there's still some time. So, I I feel like between now and the deadline is kind of crucial for what the Mets are going to do because they're they're kind of in that spot where it could go, it could still get good. I mean, they could. St- I still feel like they have a good enough team they can make a run. I mean, they're not that mm-hmm. far back, but it also could go completely south. I feel like I, and I feel like we'll have a pretty good idea by late July, but. I I you were saying that yeah they threw their chips in, and I I go right back to Preller. I remember he had thrown his chips in that year, and he just he realized it wasn't working, and he made some trades. And I remember specifically that summer. That's where he, I think he landed Trey Turner. The only and, the only thing the only thing I'll say though is Preller is smarter than anybody that the Mets in the Mets in <laughs> office. So 
(laughs) That's a very fair point. Yeah, it's just not even close. They'll make they'll make those Miami Marlin trades from a couple of years ago when they moved um, Ozuna and Stanton, and they'll get back like four guys, and one of them you, we've heard of, and the other three are low low minors guys we don't yeah. even know yet. <laughs> <laughs> Very fair point. Well, let's talk about one of the bright spots on the team, and that's first baseman Pete. Don't call me Peter Alonzo. Before the season, the comp I saw for Alonzo was Reese Hoskins, and so far, Alonzo's been as good, if not better, than Reese. And he hit his 22nd home run earlier this week. When I made these notes, he had 22 home runs and 66 games played. And Andrew, that paces for 54 home runs if he was to play over 162 games. This guy's an animal. Yep, beast. Everything he hits is hard. And he's looking like you might have nailed the rookie of the year because, yeah, he's on his way to it, it seems. There's still, obviously, still a long way to go, but, man, what a year. It feels like the front runner right now. Yep. Okay, well, let's play a him or him game with Alonzo, and we're talking dynasty here. So I'm going to throw some names at you and tell me which where you'd go. We'll start with Anthony Rizzo. Are we doing uh, batting average or on base? Batting average. We'll go standard here. Good question because that does matter here. Um, I love Rizzo. I own him in two of my four dynasty leagues, both of them that I'm competing in. I would take Alonzo over Rizzo. And the main reason is just the age. I just feel like mm-hmm. it's the difference between being – 24 and 29 and that there's that is, there's nothing wrong with Rizzo if you prefer him because you just feel more comfortable with the safety he provides I totally get it I'm a Rizzo guy all the way but you know Alonzo's already ahead of him in power I mean this season and just showing so much of that and he's five years younger so take Alonzo what about Josh Bell Uh, it's tough, man. Bell's been so good this year, man. He's just been incredible. I, I think I would take Alonzo still. I think that one's really close. Uh, I'll probably never be the biggest Josh Bell guy in the room. I, he's having the best season of, you could argue anybody. I mean, he's, you could argue he's an MVP candidate right now. And it's just so weird. It's so Crazy to think about how the strides he's made this season. It's it's bonkers. Um, I think I like Alonzo a little bit better going into the future, you know, from today forward. Not necessarily this season. The rest of the season, I'd, I'd take Josh Bell over Alonzo. But in the dynasty, talking about, you know, the next few years, I think I'd take Alonzo. Yep, I agree on that one. Reese Hoskins. The guy he's comp to. That's the closest one for me. I I like Hoskins just because, like I said before, I, I like how he just continues to do it, you know, and it's just like there hasn't been any real big dips from Hoskins where he's fallen apart. He's just kind of stayed consistent and in a good lineup. So 
That one's really close. I, I could go either way. Pretty much a coin flip. Yep. Again, I'm with you. Now, last one. In a batting average league, that really matters here. Joey Gallo. Batting average league, probably Alonzo. But, man, do I love me some Gallo. On base percentage league, I would take Gallo for sure. But, yeah. He's tough in a batting average league. I, I try to, like, I really like Gallo. I have him on a few teams this year. They're all on base percentage leagues. And I don't really like saddling my team with his batting average in the stages of the draft where you have to take him. I just, I don't like thinking too much about batting average, but. It is a pretty extreme case with him, and there's a lot. There's like becoming a lengthy track record with Gallo, where you just know you're not going to get a good batting average. So yeah, in batting average leagues, it's tough. But on base, I mean, Joey Gallo is a beast. I mean, you could argue he's borderline first round pick. I mean, so yeah, bat- batting at, in short. Sorry to go on, but batting average. Alonzo on base, Gallo. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about with Gallo and that batting average. He's sitting 274 this year. <laughs> yeah. And I'll take, I'll take the under for end of season. Hey, I hope, yeah. he, I hope he does because it means he's on base. Gosh, I tell you, if he ever – if he hits like 240, 240 to 250, which I – I wouldn't have projected, you know, like I wouldn't even project that. But if he can just do that, his on base is going to be ridiculous. And yes. if he could hit 240, 250, I would, you know, I would probably take him over Alonzo if I knew he was going to hit that. Yes, I agree. But I worry about him hitting 200. Yeah. And, and it's not, I don't feel like that's an irrational worry. I, I feel like he can legitimately hit that, so. We're not talking AL West, but yeah, I we're, I would say if you had me ask, if you asked me what's his batting average from the day he comes back to the end of the year, I'd say 200. It's just yeah, what he is. Yeah, 200, 210, somewhere. Yep. In there. Okay. We've talked first baseman long enough here. And we'll go back to a guy we were talking about before, and that's Ahmed Rosario. And he had some buzz after a strong second half last year. And so far this year, I guess we can say he's been okay. 64 games played, a 248 batting average, eight home runs, and six steals. And he still isn't walking much. That on-base percentage is only at 290, which that isn't good. And Andrew, before the season, do you feel Rosario's stock has gone up, down, or it's about the same in terms of dynasty value? I think it's close to what it was before the season. Uh, kind of going on what I said earlier with Rosario, he's one of a select few, maybe even the top guy I would name, guys that just really confuse me. I don't know which way to go. Uh, I feel like with him there's two groups of people. There's one group that sees a future star, and a guy that's going to, you know, say 15 home runs, 30 steals, stud. You know, that's a stud. I mean, 
let's be honest. And then there's another group that doesn't sees him as somebody who's not a very good hitter, doesn't get on base enough. And I'll be honest, I, I'm like kind of torn. Like I see both sides and I, I really, I feel like I go back and forth with him all the time. One minute I think, man, he could be such a stud. And the next minute I think, man, he can't hit. And he just doesn't get on base enough. And, you know, he is really young, which is nice. You, you know, you always hope and expect some growth there. But generally speaking, on base skills stick for the most part. I mean, if a guy isn't a great on base guy, he probably always isn't going to be a great on base guy. You know, it's just those skills tend to stick whether you're young or not. And sometimes I just think, yeah, maybe we're just making excuses for this guy because he's young. So I don't really know. I'm kind of torn on him and you could say either side of it. And I'd be like, yeah, I get it. You know, well, how do you feel about him? I agree with the whole, you could see either side. I think I lean more towards, he just doesn't hit that potential, but if it would have shocked me if he came out there and went Javi Baez in the league, and I'm not saying Javi Baez like 30-30 or whatever, but or 30-20 that Baez went last year, but if he turned around and went off one year and went 20 home runs, 30 steals, would I be shocked? No. He's got that potential. It's just he's got to get there. He doesn't make a lot of hard contact right now. That's one thing I've noticed And when he is making contact, but you know what? If things start clicking, you start squaring up with balls a little more frequently, that could always change. So yeah. it, it wouldn't shock me, but I would lean no until I saw it happen. I'm not, he's not going to be a guy I'm probably investing in and, unless his price absolutely bottoms out. Yeah, it's totally fair. All right, well, Robbie Cano, he's been a mess here in his first season in New York. 172 at bats. He has a 238 batting average and only three home runs. His walk rate's at the lowest it's been since 2009 at 5.5%, and his strikeouts are at 19%, which overall isn't that bad, but it's the worst rate of his career. So if you were a Mets fan or as a dynasty owner, because I think you have a share, how worried would you be about Cano on a scale of 1 to 10? One being not worried, ten being most worried. I put it like at a five, roughly four or five. Uh, I feel like there will come a point with Cano where we say, "Oh, he's back." You know, at least, at least on some level. I mean, I'm not expecting like MVP candidate Robbie Cano or anything like that, but. If the options are he's done or he returns to form, I'm going to take returns to form. I, I just, this guy is just too good of a hitter overall. And six weeks of him struggling just because he happens to be 36 years old, I'm not personally freaking out about. I know a lot of people will, and a lot of people will say he's done, but I just want him to be here when he's when he's not, because I, I really don't think he's done. 
I think I'm more worried than you. I'd say six to seven. Couple thoughts. You know, a 36 year old who all of a sudden has a year like this is alarming to me typically. And the fact that he's the second baseman, which I don't know why, but it seems like a lot of the stars at that position, they hit a wall in their 30s and it goes quick. Remember Chase Utley seemed like he was one of the best players in baseball one year. Next thing you know, real quick, he's uh, barely a guy who struggles to get playing time. And I just worry about all that. Cano, it sucks. I, I hope I'm wrong. Kanoa's got the most beautiful swing in baseball right now. And it's just, he's a joy to watch hit, but I'm a little more worried than I think you are. Yeah, most people probably are more worried than me. Yeah, you've always been a big fan, and hopefully, I, I hope you're right on this. I hope I'm telling you in two months, man, I wish I could take a mulligan on that. You definitely, good for you for holding strong. Okay. We'll go on and move on to Dominic Smith, who has been a bench player for most of the season, but he's starting to play more in the outfield with a strong start. He was actually unowned in our Rotomasters 2 league, and I did make a bid for him, but Lucas Beery, who's part of the group, he outbid me by quite a bit. I think he bid over 100 bucks for him. I think my bid was something like 20 25 but... I thought I'd ask it this way to you, Andrew, because this will tell me a lot about your thoughts on Smith. Did you put a bid in on him this last weekend? No, no, I didn't. I will say I am not positive I I realized that he that he was available, so that's partially my bad. He is playing pretty good, should be owned. Um, that said, you can't. You can't minors him anymore, so he has to be in your majors. I'm pretty well off at first base, so I I really wouldn't have had too much of a need for him either way. But anybody, anybody who's anybody who's uh, not contending or you know looking for a young bat, I mean, I don't blame you for wanting to pick him up. Translation: If any of you crappy teams want him, I don't. I get it, but. He's not good enough to be on my squad. <laughs> no, that's not, not I'm kidding. it. Okay. I'm just busting your chops. I, <laughs> I get it. And yes, your roster is. Well, yeah, you there. can all, I mean, you just only have so much room for so many guys, you know, unless you're in one of Barry Baker's leagues. I, I think I heard somebody say that Barry or Barry may have told me Barry, a longtime member of baseball 365 or friend over the, across the pond. Barry plays in a dynasty league where it's unlimited roster spots for minor leaguers. Did, yeah. did you know this? Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> you can have you can own as many guys as you want. <laughs> that just it sounds actually, insane. It actually sounds pretty awesome to me, but yeah, takes a it takes a degenerate to be in a league like that. <laughs> I would not survive. I couldn't do it. <laughs> it but it's it's funny to me. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to the pitching, and we'll talk about Jake DeGrom, who had a historically good season, but couldn't buy a win last year. Uh, Their GM brings in a lot of players to bolster their offense, and in 13 starts, he has only three wins again this year, despite pitching pretty well, not like last year's levels, but he's still been a really good arm, and three wins. This guy can't buy victories anymore. 
Yeah, the Grom's a stud. I mean, there's not really a whole lot to say. He hasn't been quite as good as last year, but he probably was never going to be. So he's fine. He's one of the top handful of pitchers in the league. It's not much to say. Nope, not much to say. He's really good. Now, Syndergaard, that's a guy we talked about last week. I don't have much to add on him, but I thought we'd talk about Zach Wheeler here because Wheeler's underlying stats do look pretty good. But he has an ERA right now at 4-6. And I think Wheeler might be another guy that might be looking worth looking into from a frustrated owner, either in a dynasty or a redraft league. Somebody could be seeing this year and think man i bought high off by i bought high on him in the draft off that second half but i should have paid attention to how bad he'd been beforehand and been injured and this guy might be a guy worth looking into yeah possibly i'm not uh i'm not a huge wheeler guy anymore just because of how much his price has gone up but there's a chance that based on his first couple of months that his price has gone down enough that I would be interested. Probably not a guy I'm seeking out, though, personally. Yeah. Uh, Steven Matz. He's actually stayed healthy this year. He's got a 62 innings pitched, a 3.88 ERA. He's been all right. It's been kind of nice to see him staying healthy. Got my fingers crossed. Maybe this is the year he finally holds up. There's still a ways to go, but I'm hope I'm cheering for that guy. You want a board bet over 0.5 DLs or IL stints the rest of the year? <laughs> no, thank you. I'll take the over. <laughs> no, I'm, jo- I'm joking. I, I hope he stays healthy. He's been pretty decent. Yeah. I just, man, I I hear his name and I just automatically think injury. I, I, I can't. I just, I'm like, I can't even do it with him anymore. I think left-handed Rich Harden. That's what comes across my yeah. mind. Yeah. Just one of those guys who, or Justin Ducher, or however you say that guy's name. You remember that guy? Yeah. I, that, I had a soft spot for him. I loved owning him, and he'd get hurt every year, but he was fun to own whenever he was healthy there with the A's 10 years yeah. ago. Okay, we'll finish off with uh, Edwin Diaz, their closer, and I'll just ask it this way. Is he the number one closer in redrafts and dynasty leagues still, Andrew? Because that's what he was before the year. No, number two. Really? I'm, I'm trying to. I can't even think. Who, who's number one? Josh Hader. Oh, I hadn't even thought about him. You ever heard of him? Yeah, that lefty guy who strikes out like everybody. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, he'd be number one for me. Diaz, probably probably two. Uh, but I I will say, I, I think Diaz is closer to three, four, those guys, than he is to Hater. I Hater, to me, is in his own tier at this point. I think I'm with you. No, I know I'm with you in a redraft league, but... I think I'd take Diaz over Hader in a dynasty still. You're crazy. (laughs) Here's my logic. If I know Hader is going to remain the closer, I'm I'm taking Hader. And I know it's dangerous to to predict 
closer roles, but I know that Diaz is holding that gig unless his arm falls off or he completely loses it. Yeah, Hater, but I know I, just, I know Hater's a better pitcher than Diaz. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I and just, I don't trust trust me. Like you know too, I love Edwin Diaz. Yes, like you do. I have been. I've been on that train since Double A. I've owned him, and trust me, I remember. I remember the day that they made him. I remember exactly where I was standing at my work when I read the news that they were making him a reliever, and I was livid. And I was like, eh, "I'll hang on to him," you know. And obviously, you've seen the rest. I mean, I've been there through the whole ride, and I love Edwin Diaz, but Josh Hader is better than Edwin Diaz. Well. Oh. 33 innings, 66 strikeouts. <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, to me, it's like Hater and everybody else. But, yeah, Diaz is still awesome. I mean, I'd still have him, like I said, probably number two. I'd have to think about it a little bit, but probably. We need to put this on the Baseball 365 yeah. Facebook group. Yeah, I'll put it up. The, uh, Dynasty. Yeah, I'm taking, I'm taking Diaz. As I'm looking at them both right now. I'm taking Diaz. I, I know Hater's awesome, and if he if he had the if I knew he was going to be a guy they were going to ride, but I think next year they're trying to find themselves another closer and do with Hater like they have been. I think they yeah, like they, him best in that role. You know what? And they might. They they honestly might. But what's funny to me about is if Hater is the eighth inning guy, he's still probably a top ten reliever. I mean, agreed. It's, He's just so, like, that's how good he is. So, yeah, just, I'm not going to bet on rolls that far in the future. And I get it. I definitely get it. I don't think you're wrong. I just think I would rather go with the safe guy I feel safer. I'll put, okay. it, up the, I'll put it up in the group tomorrow. Remind yeah, that, that'll be fun to hear the, see how that one goes. I'll be real yeah. curious to see because I can see that one going either way. But you maybe a landslide. Maybe everybody will say, Justin, you're an idiot. <laughs> okay, well, we'll move on to prospects. And this hasn't been a great year for Mets prospects, except for Alonzo. As I look at the ranks on the websites that I'm a subscriber of, it seems like all the big-name prospects that the Mets have are either staying around where they were before the year, despite the graduations that are happening, or they, some of them are even sliding, and I'm mostly talking about Andres Jimenez, Ronnie Mauricio, Mark Vientos. They're all specifically guys that I notice have not gained any traction this season after having a lot of buzz last year. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on these guys, and are, is there one of them that you're higher on than the others? Uh, they're all... I think they're all good, not great prospects. Probably Mauricio at the top. I, I don't think he's really struggled too much. Um, Jimenez a little bit more so, and Vientos too. They've struggled a little bit. But, yeah, I think they're fine. I, I'd consider buying low if somebody was down on them. But, I mean, I'm not in love with any of them. Yeah. I've read about them before, but it's never been something I've stuck with. John Calvagno, I remember him 
Jimenez was in the Sally League last year, and I remember him talking about Jimenez specifically because he was playing so well, and he said something along the lines of Jimenez is playing well, but there was something about his game that he was a little nervous about. He said, this is a guy who I would be selling if his prospect stock is going up. I'd sell right now and try to get that out of him because, again, I don't remember exactly what, but there was something he was a little more nervous about. Yeah, that was a good call because he's definitely dipped this year. Yep. Well, Andrew, you posted on Baseball 365 about Anthony Kay, who was just promoted to AAA, and his stock is up this year. I don't. Again, that's another one I don't know about much about, so why don't you tell me and the listeners more about him? Uh, short, stocky, lefty with a uh, really good changeup. Changeup's kind of his out pitch. I uh, ha- wasn't really that good last year. Kind of struggled in A ball, and um, he's come to uh, come up to Double A Binghamton, and uh, was awesome. He's been awesome this year. Got promoted to Triple A, and I think he'll get to the majors this year, most likely. He did have a rough first start. I think it was tonight. Yeah tonight in uh in triple a so kind of have to wait and see i don't think it's one of those guys that's gonna completely blow away the majors but sometimes those guys are good in their first go around he was a first round pick in 2016 so there's some pedigree there and he's definitely flown up the charts this year so just just someone to keep an eye on if he if he has a couple good starts in triple a I would, uh, you know, just be thinking about him because he, he could be around in August and September. Lefties with good change-ups. That made it, it's not fair, these comps, but immediately what comes to my head when I hear lefties with good change-ups are Johan Santana and Cole Hamels, two yeah, he, guys who were just nasty. He's, he's not them. But okay. He could be all right. <laughs> He could be all right. That's not even yeah. fair by me to think of those comps, but that's what came to my mind immediately. Okay, we got the Washington Nationals next. This one will, is another interesting one. Stock up, down, or would you say about the same right now? Uh, it's got to be down, but I would buy national stock for the rest of the season. I think they will get better as long as they don't just sell everyone off, which maybe they will. But I think that they'll be better rest of season than they've been so far. Yeah, they're five games under five hundred. They're, but they've got so much talent on that roster still. And they've got to start winning soon because if they're not, they've they've got some trading chips here. But they've got Adam Eaton, who has two decent cheap team options left on his deal. Anthony Rendon's an upcoming free agent this year, and Sean Doolittle, he only he's due next year for a six point five million team option next year. And if they're further, if they are, let's say they're five under right now, and let's say they're eight under a month from now. I think all three of those guys would bring some nice pieces back and restock that farm. And if I was the Nats at that point, if they're like eight under, I'm moving those guys. 
Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what they do. I mean, it's it's possible they do that. I would think they could get quite a bit for all three also. and That would be interesting. I know people always say that, um, oh, shoot, Rizzo, their, D, their GM, he's one of the best at trades over the course of the last decade. So it would be fun to see him go as a seller for the first time because we really yeah. haven't seen that. Yeah. All right, well, Juan Soto, he had a meteoric rise in last year. And in this year, he started out the gate slow, but he's turned it on in the last month. He's hitting 333 with four home runs. And the nice thing I've noticed is he's hitting the ball on the ground less this year than he did last year, which last year he had a 52% ground ball rate, and there were people worried about that. And this year, that's dropped to 45%, and his fly ball and line drive rates are both up. Yeah, there's... uh there's really not too much to say about Juan Soto. He's absolutely ridiculous. 20 years old. He's played 174 games in the major leagues. He has a 290 batting average, a 398 on base, a 509 slugging, a 140 WRC plus, 15% walk rate. I mean, the guy's just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> There's, he's one of the best hitters in the league already, and he's 20 years old. I don't know what else to say. I mean, Dynasty, he's a top five, six, seven pick somewhere in there, in my opinion, just because you've got him forever. And yeah, there's really not much else to say. He's a monster. Yeah. I I think he's a top 10 dynasty guy for sure. And I have no issue if somebody's going five, six, seven, like you're saying. He's a stud as a 20-year-old. Crazy. Yeah. It's like in, in three years, which three years is a little ways. <laughs> in three years from now, he'll be 23. Like, it's just, when you think of it, I always think of it like that. And it's like, wow, that's totally nuts. We'll look at him kind of like I look at Correa now where, it seems like he's been around a while, and he's 24 years old. That'll yeah. be what we're saying about Soto in four years. Yep. All right. Well, Victor Robles, he's getting his first run as a starting center fielder for the Nats. And I mean, I know he played a little bit down the stretch last year, and I think the year before he did. But this year is his first year as a starter with Harper gone. And while he does have nine home runs and nine stolen bases, he's only batting around 240 and is hitting at the bottom of the Nats order a lot of the games now. But Andrew, given he's only 22, I'm not really worried overall. I'm more happy that he's doing this well so far, given I kind of think of what Buxton did a few years ago, and I always hear those comps with him, and Buxton really struggled. And the fact that Soto's at least hanging, I think that's a good sign for things to come. Yeah, he... um... I don't really know if he'll ever be a really good on-base guy or average guy. I mean, he could be more so with average, but his home run and stolen base upside is very high. And at his age, it's impressive what he's doing. He hasn't been, just as far as a pure hitter, he hasn't been great, but there's enough with the rest of it that it's intriguing and you expect him to keep getting better. 
Yeah. 5.8% walk rate, 25% strikeout rate. Neither one of those is great until you think about the fact that he's a rookie as a 22-year-old. and It's like, that's that's doable. And that if he can keep continuing on those, he'll be all right. Yeah, he could be a star, actually. They'll give him a lot of leash. And he's got nine homers and nine steals. So Impressive. Trey Turner's back from the injured list a month or so ago, and he's still really good at baseball. Right, Andrew? Yeah, he's very fast. I don't have much <laughs> else to say. Stud. No. Stud. And he's, Stud. he provides stuff that is almost – is really hard to find in fantasy. It's yeah, a he fun might guy to own. He might be the hardest guy, or one of them. I mean, maybe not the singular, but one of the hardest to replace when injured. Like if he's hurt, you're in trouble because it's just you don't. There's those guys don't exist on the waiver wire. It's just so hard to. I feel like you can replace the other types, the power, you know, the power guys, but. You can't replace Trey Turner. When he got hurt in April, Walter McMichael had a great tweet. And on Twitter, our good friend Walter, he said, list of players, here's a list of players that can replace Trey Turner now that he's injured. And the rest of the tweet was empty. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's true. It is. It's very true. All right. Well, we'll move on to pitching. And I don't have anything on to add really about Mad Max or Strasburg. I guess I'll add that it is nice to see Strasburg healthy through the first half of the season. And I hope he can do the same in the second half. He hasn't thrown 180 innings since 2014. And it'd be neat to see what numbers he could actually put up if he stays healthy for a full year. Yeah, I uh, hope he does. I have him on five teams, so... I need him. I've always been a Straws guy. I know that some people can't deal with the injuries, but in my estimation, he's an ace when he pitches. That's what I love about him. He's discounted enough that you don't quite have to pay ace price. So, yeah, he's on his way to having one of those type of years. It just, I just hope he hangs in there and is there for the duration, but we'll see. Five shares. My God, if he gets injured, I don't want to be your coworker that next yeah, day. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was actually thinking about who, like, guys that I need the most. And he's right there at the top. I need him the rest of the year. So I really hope he stays healthy. I've been happy. I've been really happy so far. What about Patrick Corbin? He got the money that Bryce Harper left behind. Once Harper left, or actually before Harper left, they went on and signed Corbin to a real big contract. And while he hasn't been terrible, he really hasn't been great either. After his last start, he gave up seven runs in five innings on Tuesday night. His ERA is up to 4.11, and he has five wins so far. Over under 3.6 ERA for Corbin at the end of the year, Andrew. Over. Okay. If I said 3.8... Uh, probably over. Oh, wow. I'm not, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really like the Corbin deal. I am not, I, I liked Corbin 
back when he was treated as a number three, four, five starter in fantasy. And now that everyone has this estimation that he's an ace or close to it, I, I just don't really want anything to do with him. You can have him at the price that he's at. I I just don't want him. And I, cause I just don't feel like he is. I mean, if that's wrong, it's wrong. But I'm just not a Corbin guy these days. Yeah. It's hard to buy him at this price, and maybe he's going to need to show it another. And he's not showing it yet this year. And maybe, maybe his next start, he goes on a run, and he's the best pitcher in baseball in the second half. That's yeah. Who knows? But yeah, I, I think I'm more with you. I like, don't really like him at that price right now. If if he backed up last season with doing it again. I'm more comfortable once I see it a couple times, but yeah, mm-hmm. he is. He isn't though. Like, and this is this is why I don't like buying those guys that just explode for one year when they haven't shown track record of doing it. It's just they go backwards. It seems to me like more than they don't. So there are a lot of instances of that. Yeah. All right. Prospects here. I got two of them I want to talk about, and the first one's Carter Keeboom. He got his first taste in AAA to start the season, and he's been he was pretty good, good enough that the Nats called him up after eleven games in April, or four eleven games in April after Trey Turner went down, and Keebum didn't play great, and he was sent back to AAA even before Trey retu- returned from that injury, but Keebum still has pretty been pretty solid since going back down. And he's walking at an insanely high 16% rate down in AAA so far. This is a guy to watch is the Nats. If they do decide to sell at the deadline, I'm pretty sure they'll be bringing Kibum up because they've got options. If they move Rendon or Dozier that they could stick him back up in the infield. Yeah, I, uh, I don't feel like I'm the biggest Kibum guy these days, but I will say if they do sell and he comes back up, everyone's going to pick him up. So, yeah, just something to keep an eye on there. Yeah, be watching. If July 1st, the record's about the same or getting a little lower, I, that's about the time I'd be trying to pick him up. You don't want to wait until July 28th to do it right there at the trade deadline. I'd say July 1st would be a time that if he was cut and you've – Got a roster crunch, roster crunch now, and you don't want you can't really pick him up yet. I'd I'd at least try by then if he's sitting out there because upside there. Yep. Um, the other prospect I wanted to bring up was Luis Garcia. Uh, he was incredibly young for a guy who made his debut at Triple A this year. I think he's or Double A. He's only eighteen, but his stock has fallen with him showing a two thirty four batting average in these fifty seven games and. I was down on Garcia before the year and I still but I still believe in that hit tool. And the guy's still making contact. If you believe before, I really wouldn't let this deter you off Garcia. I just he's showing the same skills. I just having worse luck with batting average so far to start the year. What do you think? Yeah, he's heated up some in June. Uh if you believed before the season you probably now is not really the time to give up. I mean, he just turned 19. He's the youngest guy, I believe, in double A. 
or at least he was as of about a month ago. So yeah, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be giving up if you you know he's he's dropped a little bit in prospect rankings and stuff, and that's probably warranted. But I uh, I wouldn't be giving up on on him at all. You know, I said I wasn't as high as the field. I think he was a top twenty five prospect on lists. I was seeing him, and I thought, man, I just I can't get behind that rank personally. I wouldn't have him there anyways. And now I'm seeing him more in the 50 to 80 range, and I'm like, okay, now I think he's swung a little too far the other way, enough so that I went and traded for him. I said I wasn't as high on him as a field, but I saw an opportunity there where I'm like, okay, this might be a guy to buy low on, and I made a deal for him in the Dynasty League this week. I gave up Tyler Maley, and there were other parts in that deal, but I think I got Garcia plus a pick in that, and I'm pretty excited about that trade. I know. Nice. We'll see about Garcia, but I liked it. Next and finally are the Miami Marlins. All right, good talk, Andrew. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's uh, that's pretty good analysis there. I think we're done. Yep, we've been doing this. <laughs> Seriously, though, is there a more depressing team to be a fan of in professional sports than the Miami Marlins? No, I I can't even think of one. I mean, at least with the Orioles, there's a few guys. There's The Marlins are so depressing. They're at least trying. They'll make the playoffs, and it seems like they'll try. The Marlins, I mean, they've had so much talent this last decade, and they just keep moving it all on. And yeah... Jose Fernandez was a big blow to that organization, but yeah, they had just given guys away. And yep. I think, did you see Gary Sonnenfeld's post on Baseball 365 today? I think he said it best. Did you see it? No, I did not. Okay. Well, you'll love this then. He made a post that said, the Marlins are giving fedoras for the first 10,000 fans on Saturday. So they'll have 8,300 left over. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's awesome <sighs> I thought that was so good yeah, okay that's good. let's at least talk about it a little bit and there haven't been many or really hardly any bright spots on that offense the one I think I'd talk about is Jorge Alfaro who he's hitting 271 with 9 home runs and I'll say that's solid numbers for a number 2 catcher in a dynasty in a 2 catcher league what do you think yeah, yeah, I like Alfaro. I've got him as one of my catchers in Roto Masters one. Um, yeah, I'm a fan. I I've kind of liked the move to uh, Miami actually from Philly just because it cleared up the playing time and he's um, he's been playing and he's been playing pretty good. Catcher landscape, yeah. catcher landscape isn't the hottest, so you know you get anybody that's playing and not killing your batting average and providing you with a little bit of pop. And yeah, yeah, he's been good. And that may be where it stops in terms of hitters that you want in your lineups in a 15 team league. Am I right? Pretty close. Yeah. Maybe Brian Anderson, but he's maybe more of a depth piece too. I've got him in a 20 team league and I don't mind him, but yeah, not too much there. No, I'm with you. I I have Anderson, and I 
in a dynasty league, and I much rather have him on my bench than starting. But he is at least handy because he's got third base and outfield eligibility, and he's yeah. not a bad hitter. I think he'd be fine if he was on another team. Yeah, agreed. Okay, well, we'll move to pitchers, and Caleb Smith, that's the best story for the Marlins so far. He's got a 3.4 ERA and 82 strikeouts in 66 innings. The last month has been pretty rough, rough for him, though, and those numbers looked a heck of a lot better at the end of April. Do you think these numbers keep sliding, or do you think he's around this kind of guy, or do you think he even could get back to pitching like an ace? What do you think? Once he's back, what do you? Because he's on the injured list now. Where do you think he'll be? I think he's close to around this. I don't think he's quite the ace type that he was at the beginning, but I don't. I don't expect him to drop off much either. He's got a ridiculous swinging strike rate. I mean, he's. I think he's a good pitcher. Yeah, those numbers look pretty legit. I mean, I the numbers he was showing in the early going, they seemed a little lucky, and seems like that's corrected to where, yeah. I think he is about what he is right now, number-wise, and that's a real good pitcher. Yeah. When you look at the rest of the Marlins staff, it really doesn't look too bad. You got Pablo Lopez, Trevor Richards, Sandy Alcantara. He's been semi-decent. Any of those guys, someone you're interested in more than the others long-term? No, I think they're all kind of in the same grouping. I think they're all usable. Um mid to back end of the rotation type guys. Uh, but yeah, I think they're all solid. I have Con- or, uh, Alcantara in one dynasty league and I'm kind of rebuilding. So I'm just kind of letting him sit there and yeah, he's been, he's been decent and Richards and Lopez have too. So yeah, they're all fine. I don't think any of them are going to completely blow you away, but yeah, they're fine. That's a good way to say it. They're fine. They're guys who are fine to throw there in your rotation, spot start them, stuff like that if you got yeah. a real good squad. Lopez Lopez seems like he's been pretty good aside from that horrific tenor and run outing or whatever. Uh-huh. You remove that and it's, yeah, he's been pretty decent. Uh, Prospect-wise, Miami does have a few interesting names, and I thought I'd just ask you to rank these guys. I'm going to give you six names here. J.J. Blade, and if you don't know much about him, he was their first-round pick this year. Gallon, Sixto, Sanchez, Monty Harrison, Eason Diaz, and Victor Victor Mesa. You don't have to rank all six, but of those guys, who would at least your top two or three be? Uh, I'm going to leave Blade out of it just until I dig a little more into him. I mean, he's an outfielder that they drafted. He's Got power from Vanderbilt. I think they took him, whatever it was, four overall. Was that where they picked? I can't remember, but I think it was Sounds four. Yeah, I think it was four. Um, power guy with, you know, he can hit and stuff. Not much speed. So I need to dig a little more into him. The other guys, I think I would take Sixto and Gallon over the, the bats. I'm not too crazy about Monty Harrison. I just don't know if he'll ever hit big league pitching, but that said, if he does, he's got a lot of upside because he's got, you know, power speed combo, which which is good. Um, Isan Diaz is having a great season. Really good. I mean, he's, 
come back last year. He was down, didn't really have that good of a year, and he's having an awesome year this year. He's got more home runs this year than he had all of last season already. So, wow. Yeah, good year for him. And then Victor Victor's just been tough. He, he just – he just hasn't really done much. It's kind of depressing because of how high you went in sub drafts and stuff. But you know, yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't totally write him off. It's just kind of tough when you're like a little bit older of a prospect and you come out and struggle. It your value kind of comes crashing down. I, it's kind of the reason I didn't draft him this year. I was a little worried about that would happen and. Or that that could happen, and it's basically what has happened. So he's got there a ways were, to go. He's got a ways to go to build this value back up. There were dynasty leagues where he went one one, and yeah. man, there's I bet those people are kicking themselves with he'll how be, Mice is pitched and Groshans hit and a couple other yeah. guys. He'll be twenty three in a month. Gee, and he's in high A, and he's struggling. You know, so just kind of gets to be. Not that twenty three is old, but it's definitely not. It's not like he's young for the level, you know. So, in in terms of value as a prospect, he's probably one of the biggest droppers in fantasy yeah. this year. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I, I'm taking six to one and Gallon two. You know, you don't typically want to be taking pitcher prospects, but compared to those other guys, I just like those arms. I think six to has a chance to be special. Gallon's really close. I'm taking those guys over the rest. Yeah. Gallon pitched tonight. Again, eight Ks, one walk. It's a matter five, of time before he's five, five and a third. Three earned. So, yeah, it was a decent start. Good start. I saw somebody post that Jose Urena was just placed on the 60-day DL, and they were yeah. saying maybe yeah. this is the time he comes up now. Yeah, he's had a ridiculous season. I. I think you could argue him or Sixto. I, I wouldn't have an argument. Or I wouldn't argue with it either way. I yeah. mean, six, Sixto has more pedigree. Gallon's been better this year. And Gallon's on the doorstep. It's not like Sixto's real far away. I think he'll probably be up next year. But, yeah, if you had a preference either way, I wouldn't argue with it. Or if if you, you're a Alex Reyes, Brent Honeywell owner like I've been the last few years, we'll see Sixto in 2023. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes with these guys it might just be better to take the guy that's close. Just yeah. it's tough. It's tough. Unless to say, their but... name's Mackenzie Gore. Yeah, unless their name's Mackenzie Gore. Exactly. Then take Mackenzie Gore. Yeah. We'll have to <laughs> we'll have to set aside about twenty minutes for him on the NL West podcast. Yeah. Okay. Last question for you, Andrew. We've discussed the entire NL East. And I think I already know your answer. Would you change your preseason prediction of the Braves winning the East or the Phillies winning a wild card? Are you sticking with them? Nope. Keep them both the same. Well, I agree with you. I would now go with those same two. I'm sorry, Mets. I do think you've got a shot still at getting back up in there, but I'm going with the I'm going with the top two got teams. I think they look like the best squads out there right now. Okay. That was a fun show, Andrew. We have we went long. Yeah, that was seriously in depth. Yep, lot to talk about, but yeah, it was fun. Yeah, we'll see. We might we might try to trim the next ones down a little bit. That went long, but we'll see. But give us some feedback. 
love to hear from you on Twitter at baseball three sixty five pod or mention talk to us on Facebook. Let us know your thoughts. I'd love to hear it. If you think if you enjoyed the in depth or if you thought it was too long, give us your feedback. We'd love to have it. Yeah. Andrew, you, you got any final words before we get out of here? No, the uh, Padres and Rockies are eleven to eleven in the twelfth inning. Oh my gosh. That game was 11-5, to five and the Padres scored six in the top of the ninth to tie it. Oh, my word. Wait yeah. a minute. The, was that a Oberg, or is Wade Davis back, and that was him? Wade Davis is back. He gave up two. I mean, it was everybody. It, it was, was a, a comp. Yeah, it was a group team effort. effort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a group effort on the uh, blowing the game. But, yeah, 11-11. Jeez. Jeez. Well, it's in Colorado. I, I don't know how any game in Colorado gets to the 12th inning. Yeah, actually, yeah, uh, Padres just, just scored, so 12-11. Okay. Well, not, that over, means not over yet. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Okay, well, I'll, we're going to get out of here. I'm going to go turn that on and go watch the end of that game then. All right, take care, yeah. everybody. See ya. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year.